Hey guys, Patrick here. Just before we get started on this week's episode, we actually have a quick trailer from one of our friends of the show, Elliot Gates, and his podcast, The Anthology of Heroes. Enjoy. Hello, my name's Elliot, and I run the Anthology of Heroes podcast. Each episode of the show follows the life of a hero from one country of the world, but rather than the stuffy old politicians or tired stories you read about in school, I'll be sharing the forgotten stories of rebels, slaves, heretics, and outcasts, men and women who went against the tide of history regardless of the consequences. If this sounds like your kind of thing, check us out on Instagram and of course all major podcasting platforms. The name again is Anthology of Heroes Podcast and we hope to see you there. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. My name is Patrick and I am joined as ever by my good friend Will. How are you doing Will? Hey Pat, you alright? I'm good, I'm good. I'm very excited for today's episode because I think I've mentioned a couple times on this that I absolutely love Egypt. It was one of my favourite parts of history to learn about um, when I was younger and this week in our new spanking new cities series we will be looking at Alexandria which is going to be a fun time. I hope you've, oh. I hope you've enjoyed researching it as much as I have, Will. I've got to say, um, this whole cities thing seemed like a good idea at first, but actually, when you, because we were thinking, okay, we need to choose times in the city's history which people don't know about. But the reason you mm. haven't heard of different times is because fuck all is happening in those times. <laughs> so it's quite <laughs> hard to find. I found the research really challenging, but it's, it makes it all the worthwhile when you find that sweet story. So. Yeah, yeah, the really like sort of like nuggets of history which you don't really hear about. I mean, I went back and forth on what part of uh, history of Alexandria I wanted to cover because there's just quite a lot of it, and there's some really big moments, but a lot of people know about that stuff. So, and it's not quite as, although it's still really interesting. I don't want to be competing with you know the hundreds of historians that have researched this and <laughs> and you know people's understanding. I mean, this part of the world is covered by films and TV shows and video games. And so, you know, I don't want to compete with all those really high, big budget uh, extravaganzas with really, with you, they'll have, you know, teams and teams of historians, whereas this is just us two on our laptops trying to find some cool stuff. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It'd be nice to sort of do bits, which hopefully no one's like checking us. <laughs> because as we <laughs> yeah. always say, this is not an academic podcast. These are two guys with a microphone. And so if you're doing any of your own research, Great place to start here, but let just look at our our notes. Don't go straight into what we're saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should really put our notes somewhere, shouldn't we? <laughs> we should I put have like mine a up on the notes. episodes. You should put yours in. <laughs> do you? Where? Well, I put my sources. Yeah. Do you not do Where? that? Just on what? in the in the episode description. No. <laughs> <laughs> really? You don't. <laughs> no. I sure are. I'll start doing do that. that then. Oh, I just paste paste in the few places which I think are good to talk about it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably a good idea. Well, we're turning over new leaves all the time. Yeah. So, listener, <laughs> look out for Patrick's detailed notes, which will be up for this week's podcast. Oh no, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> now people are going to just see it's just a bunch of random pages with with no good sources, and I'm just finding interesting stories that I can bullshit about. Um, no, 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 I'll put some cool good. academic papers. Oh, it's like we got that message from someone asking for uh, what books uh, would you recommend on this subject? And I think both of us were scrambling to find, oh, bloody hell, we better find some good books to suggest. We were just looking <laughs> on, like, sources or, like, some articles, you know. It's not really, 
you know we don't we don't read endless maybe we shouldn't say this but we don't read endless books about these about these topics I mean, we have to learn them in a week we don't have time to read uh, yeah. huge reams of content about it yeah i mean we're not we're not stu- well i was a student of history but you know we actually have jobs as well so this we put a lot of care and attention into the research but we're not going to go out and buy five books per episode per person just because we're skint yeah. <laughs> on that, lot, if you want to uh, any generous donations, please send it to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get a PO box or something. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, so without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. Let's do it. Okay, so as I said, we today's episode we will be looking at the ancient and glorious city of Alexandria in uh, northern Egypt. Um, I'll be uh, taking us for this one, uh, looking at the slightly older uh, time period we've looked at. We'll try and keep these in chronological order. We're doing each episode in two parts, um, and it's probably easier to understand if we do it in chronological order. Plus, it's kind of fun in the second episode to kind of explore how the city has changed and how the city might have adapted to things that happened in the previous episode, which I think rather is kind of than, a fun way. Yeah, rather than doing it the other way around. And if you did it yeah. out of chronological order, <laughs> we'd always go, oh, well, wait, we'll tell you all about it next episode. But like, Yeah, yeah. It yeah. <laughs> doesn't quite work. <laughs> it well, be really point. unhelpful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to start off, I'll give you a bit of an intro into this city of Alexandria. So it is, of course, in northern uh, Egypt, right on the kind of western edge of the Nile Delta. So, you know, as most people know, Egypt uh, throughout most of its history has kind of just relied on this very skinny stretch of land that runs uh, runs alongside uh, each side of the Nile, because that is kind of the only fertile area that these ancient Egyptians could inhabit. And it is an incredibly fertile era. Era? <laughs> fertile area. Um and it has kind of just it's kind of the reason that Egypt has this such ancient history is because it could they they could really survive there cities could be built upon this fertile land because it could support massive populations and so when the rest of the world started to take note of this kind of glorious and strange paradise to the south people wanted to settle there and one of the biggest settlers of history is our good old friend Alexander the Great which if you've listened to our episode we did with uh, Patrick Little from A Little History Podcast um, you'll know that we've kind of kind of cast as this kind of bro kind of annoying preppy son Chad. of a better king yeah yeah that kind of guy which i still have in my head um if you haven't heard that go watch the episode because it's great fun go watch the episode go listen to that episode because it's great fun um but yeah so we've got this kind of guy alexander the great who's kind of journeying across the world across the mediterranean world conquering everywhere and after he's kind of subdued what was is modern day syria he decides to go head further south into Egypt and wants to set up a brand new capital of Egypt, which he'll name after himself because he's a kind of a prick and <laughs> thinks that it's a good idea to name things after yourself. Although that's not like uncommon throughout history. Everyone names everything about themselves. Yeah, but I do feel like he was kind of the uh, the sort of trail, the trendsetter. Like, I swear something stupid. Like, are there like 50 cities in the ancient yeah, world? Named yeah, after he names them. All after himself, and it's not like they're named after him. He names them after himself. So yeah, he's, he's still alive, of... isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's doing this. I mean, yeah, he's there and and chooses this place. So the founding of Alexandria is kind of around three hundred and thirty-two BCE, right when Alexander the Great is at his height. 
Um, and that is quite an ancient city, although it's nothing compared to some of the older cities in Egypt. For example, Thebes and Memphis were supposedly founded around 3000 BCE, Whoa. which is a ridiculously long time ago. I mean, you know, everyone knows ancient, you know, Old Kingdom Egypt is one of the most ancient parts of the world. I think, I don't know if it's the most ancient, because I know like Mesopotamia is the ancient part of the world, but Egypt ain't far behind it. Well, yeah, like I, th I feel like it was but... the same peoples who went to Egypt straight after Mesop um, the Mesopotamian cities and founded them because yeah. they were all founded on on rivers as well. So it's the same kind of setup. Yeah, so I, I mean, rivers feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I wouldn't be surprised if all kind of all the cities we cover here will either be ports or along rivers because it is just so important to the growth of a city to yeah. have that. It's 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 a commodity at that time um, to have river, to have this transport, to have this like. And you also, it, like I said, it will be around fertile ground. You know, Alexandria sure. was built on the River Nile's Delta, which is kind of this large swath of land right at the north when it reaches the sea. Um, and you kind of need that to support a city. You need lots and lots of food to be able to build up that surplus to start. That's kind of how cities work. The idea is that you can start dividing up labor because you don't need everyone like making the the food for themselves. <laughs> yeah, you can build up enough where you can then pay the architects or the engineers or the doctors or the like early scholars you know you need everyone else making enough food to cover these people so they can do some more interesting stuff yeah. so yeah but like thebes and memphis they're proper old i mean for instance i mean 3000 bce that means the founding the diff the time difference between the founding of like thebes and memphis till the founding of alexandria is a bigger stretch of time um than the founding of alexandria to today Whoa, which is pretty best. messed up like yeah, we're closer to alexandria um being founded than the ancient thebians and memphisians I, that's probably not right but you know that's <laughs> but no, it's that's the same the kind thing. of time scales we're looking at yeah it's the same thing isn't it true that uh isn't cleopatra uh when she looked at the pyramids she was nearer in time to our time than when the pyramids were built yeah She's yeah just incredible. the pyramids are uh, I mean, you know, in in the way that we don't really understand, you, you can't really get your head around these times, the pyramids would have been just as ancient to her as they are to us. And possibly the same, really, for uh, Alexander the Great when he rocked up. And I don't think he ever got that far down uh, into Egypt to see it. But, you know, these ancient Egyptian ruins that he would have seen could have been just as ancient to him and would have felt just as ancient to him as they do to, to us or as, yeah. as anything he built is to us, which is just... I mean, these are staggering it's... jumps in time. I mean, you know, compare it to some of the other things we've done, which has been, what, a few hundred years ago? I mean, last week when I was talking about, um, uh, you know, revolutionary America and New York, that's nothing compared to the, the timescales we're looking at now. Yeah, that's so true, actually, because obviously I was doing World War Two, so that was a, a jump of 150 years, something like that, in between our two episodes, whereas this is going to be, you know, yeah, that much, it's just a much different... Bigger. Yeah, it's like the birth of sort of proper egyptian history is here you know it's such a cool yeah. place to, yeah, to yeah. cover and also aren't the pyramids like the old the last of the seven ancient wonders to still be standing i don't think uh, any of the other ones are around i don't know i mean the acropolis is still hanging around a bit is the acropolis one of them oh shit yeah i think so yeah i think i think it's one of them uh okay. or the is the acropolis or the parthenon i don't know which one is officially the the wonder but one of them is and the the parthenon's the which, yeah, yeah, the, the Acropolis is like the hill and the, yeah. the whole area, and the, yeah, the Parthenon is the. I think the Parthenon is, is in the, the seven, wonder. right? And I okay. think that because that's still there, kind of. 
ish. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, the British apart, tried basically. to fucking get rid of it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, 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 py- the pyramids are hard to get rid of, I suppose. Although they look nothing like they used to look. I mean, they, no. when they were originally built, they were smooth. They were basically white and would have a gold top. They were kind of glorious looking as opposed to these uh, very sandy monuments they are now. And we'd like you to go and play Assassin's Creed Origins if you want to see that. Oh. Because you can scale them and then slide down, which would really hurt yeah, your hands. Yeah. But he, he can do it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good yeah, fun. Yeah. You can climb right up to the top. <laughs> That's, yeah, that is, that, that is the best part of that game. Um, but yeah, just to just to whiz through, uh, yeah, uh, Alexandria before we dive into our stories. Um, what I didn't actually realize is that although we kind of um, accredit Alexander the Great for founding the city, he actually built it on top of another settlement. There was uh, an Egyptian kind of probably no bigger than a town or village called Rakotis, um, which was ah. on the shore. It was kind of, I mean, you know, settlements will be placed in good places that will be useful and this place um was obviously on the coast it uh, it was close enough to the river nile so it had it was plenty fertile um and it was kind of, it would have been no more than just a shipyard um used by some uh, egyptians in the region but alexander the great went nah we can make a city here and i'm going to name it <laughs> after myself um i'm going to make it the biggest grandest city in his kind of Hellenistic sphere, you know, it was going to be the gateway into Egypt for the rest of Greece. Um, and one of the ways he did that is he created this huge causeway between uh, the mainland and the island of Pharos, which is oh. just, it's very close to, it's, you know, it's literally just off the coast, so it's not far. But in doing so, he creates these two massive deep water ports on either side, one for military and one for commercial. And that's kind of how this city in this ancient era became so big and so powerful. He kind of carved it into Egypt and turned it into this powerhouse. I mean, can you imagine you've just changed the, the actual earth to make that possible? You've just incorporated an island back onto the mainland. Yeah. Like the power yeah. of Alexander the Great is just, it, I he mean, might the, be a bit of a dick, but like fair play to the lad. The fair Egyptians ambition. saw him as a god. They saw him, they kind of elevate him to Pharaoh status, which they see as gods. You know, he was kind of seen, I mean, you know, and he would have been almost angelic, you know, much lighter skinned. He would have been richly armoured and he's just going, yes, point over there. And then the <laughs> the sands will rise from the seas and create a causeway between this <laughs> island. Like, I mean, you know, he, if he could speak and we all know he knew how to handle a crowd well. If you listen to that episode, yeah, with, um, I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> we might link to that a bit more in this episode, but yeah, um, you know, he knew how to work a crowd, and he would have worked this crowd. You know, these Egyptian people who would have seen them as this kind of otherworldly god who crafts this uh, city out of nowhere. Mm. Um, so yeah, and this is yeah, and, and Alexandria would go on to be a massive city. It is, of course, home uh, to the what is a couple kind of wonders of the world uh it's funny we were just mentioning other wonders of the world uh the lighthouse of alexandria which is no longer around it is no, yeah not. it's definitely no longer around um yeah no longer around but yeah it was this huge beacon um that was on the uh, island of pharos um and would help guide ships and it is kind of this ancient wonder of the world um and then of course it was also home to the great library of alexandria which is kind of where a lot of people know about this city because it is this kind of very ancient uh greatest library in the world sort of thing you know it is it is where scrolls and texts from throughout the mediterranean world which kind of to the greeks and to the romans and to the egyptians was the entire world everything went through this library and was 
copied and repeated and stored and it became this kind of hub of researchers and scholars and academics in a way that no other city i'm going to say no other city in the world had been before but there is uh, there are other ones actually that was yeah but there, I'm it's to think before of sort of globalization and, so it's not like you could share that knowledge so if you could get to one of those cities then it would be the best in the world you know what i mean it's not like you could just hop over to another one it'd be hard to yeah to yeah yeah absolutely it's not quite you know they didn't have an internet they didn't have a sharing of information and so but it meant that lots of people wanted to travel to alexandria in order to you know benefit you know scholars would travel from greece uh, all the way to alexandria just to just to read the scrolls there which is kind of and it, you know that helped to bring out this city as this kind of it's kind of a bit of a melting pot of different civilizations you know it's on the edge um of uh, Alexander the Great's empire and then would go on to be the edge of the kind of the edge of the Roman empire as well um you know it's this kind of meeting between uh, african cultures and mediterranean cultures so it's kind of on this edge and it's a really interesting city because of that um, it really is, is kind of yeah. why, kind of why we've dived into it um and it today it still stands it's still around it goes up and down which we'll dive into a bit but at the moment it is the third largest city in egypt behind cairo and giza and it's actually the seventh largest city in africa so it wow. is still going strong and Goodness so me. so yeah there it is which i think is a which is why we so wanted to learn about it because it is it's got a long old history um and quite a remarkable history but there are things about it you may not know so listen in <laughs> That's a good segue, I like that. Yeah. Um, okay, so I will be looking uh, at a part in Alexandria's history, which is where it was going through uh, a very interesting time in history. I will be looking at around 365 CE. So this is long after Alexander the Great, and this is actually long after the Ptolemy dynasty, which is who the Egyptian pharaohs who kind of replaced um Alexander the Great when his empire kind of fell apart and so I'm even past them all the way into late Roman era so later on kind of around 60 um, CE uh, Rome took control of Alexandria and it became this kind of beacon there like I was gonna say outpost in Africa but it, that's selling it short because there's a lot more than that but it is <laughs> yeah. their biggest southern city and actually for a long time it was kind of the biggest city in the roman world only eclipsed by rome itself which so that's kind of how you can get an wow. idea of how big this place is it is this huge cultural epicenter um of the world it's kind of like a linchpin of the world if you've got rome to the north and alexandria to the south and it's really involved in a lot of roman politics because the nile and egypt itself was this kind of bountiful harvest that rome could suck all the the grain and, and nutrients out of to, to feed its empire you know they saw it as this perfect place they could pull so much resource and power from and that's why it was always really important and alexandria was more of a greek city than the uh, proper egyptian cities because it was just full of greeks and romans they saw it as their like paradise in the egyptian wastes um if you can kind of think in a bit like that yeah i mean i think that's really fascinating that uh, you know before Lots of scholars say, and this is not me saying this, this is from, you know, university modules and things, they always say that without Egypt's grain, Rome would never have been able to build up to the point where it, it could because it literally couldn't sustain itself. And there was nowhere mm. else which had enough infrastructure. And, of course, because it's such an old culture, they've always had infrastructure back there, long before Rome was a, a city, you know? So it's kind of a proper... Yeah. I love that about it, you know, that, that theory that without Alexandrian grain, you'd be in trouble. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, empires need that empires really aren't in the business. They can build ground structures and infrastructure within their heart, kind of. That's kind of how it works. You know, the, the beating heart of an empire can really thrive, but the rest of it needs to be supplied and, you know, helped by things they take over. Empires only really work as long as they continue to conquer. And the conquering of Egypt was so important in order to feed wider conquests throughout. I mean, that that's what Alexander the Great did and what the Romans did. You know, they needed this uh, place to be able to really fuel them because there's not many other places in the world. I mean, you know, we think of Egypt as being desolate and barren, and so much of it is because it's all desert, but the Nile is just the lifeblood, and he's, it creates more fertile land than some other places around the world ever will, because it is just this such rich nutrients that flow through it, and it can create really, really huge harvests that can fuel an empire, and that's what they wanted yeah. it for. Yeah, of course. So uh, that was that was so this this city was so important to Rome. So they kept held they kept hold of it for hundreds of years. And in the time period we're looking at, there the city and the whole empire is also going through another fairly major tectonic shift um, in its introduction of Christianity. So three hundred sixty five is where we're looking at, and three hundred and thirteen CE is when Emperor Constantine uh, officially grants christianity legal status and so it is allowed to be he's kind of converting into christianity it's he issues what's known as the edict of milan and this is where christianity kind of starts to become an official religion throughout the empire and it is aggressively spreading throughout the empire you know we kind of think christianity especially in most of our history and our world today is everywhere already you know it is it people think it's being encroached on everywhere but it really does spread fast and it's this time when it's really spreading throughout uh, the mediterranean world and it is particularly spreading heavily in alexandria because there's kind of some different theories about that and one of them is kind of that alexandria has never quite liked the fact uh, that rome has ruled over it with such an iron fist you know they used to rule themselves they had the ptolemies this whole egyptian dynasty and rome is very particular about making sure the entirety of rome is like rome they want alexandria to submit to rome and they ah. almost they they kind of also are although they're not too interested in especially in the early days they're not too interested in forcing the religion they the religion they do kind of force on is a worship of the emperor that's the kind of religion that the um rome pushes so they're not too bothered about you know replacing uh, iris and horus with uh, jupiter and saturn they all they care about is that the uh, Alexandrians, who are kind of Greek, a little bit Roman, a little bit Egyptian, um, worship the emperor. That's what they care about. And so Alexandria has always kind of resisted that, which means when Christianity rolls around, they're quite keen to take it on. And actually, because it's kind really? of a free thinking city, and it's a bit weird to say that, that a three, a three, three, a free thinking city would be Christian. But in this time period, that's what it is. The Christians were kind of the minority and this kind of new idea, new ways of thinking about things. And Alexandria being this kind of hub of cultures and of research and of new ideas, uh, Christianity kind of really took hold, which is kind of, kind of an interesting thing. I didn't really expect that when I was reading about it. I imagine it would still be quite pagan. And there certainly is that. But Christianity, especially among the kind of Greek and Mediterranean uh, people who live there, really takes hold. See, that's really interesting. I think the, the thing that I'm sort of mind boggled about is kind of obviously today it's a Muslim country. 
Egypt, I'm yeah. pretty sure, um, overall. Uh, yeah. And of course, you, you think back and go, okay, ancient Egypt, obviously they worship their own gods. So you don't think that on the way to them becoming an Islamic country or Alexandria becoming an Islamic city, that Christianity got in before them, way before Islam mm. was even sort of founded, before Muhammad was born. So yeah. it's quite interesting. You don't, you don't, it feels like a weird, you don't think that that is in the history somewhere, you know? Yeah, quite yeah. I mean, you know, Christian Egyptians is a, is, is, a, is a thing. And I don't think it would have just been Alexandria, but Alexandria would have been the hub because it's always been this kind of foreign city within Egypt. You know, places like, uh, well, Cairo, I don't think really exists at this point, but Giza especially, and then other places like Thebes and Memphis, they would have still been... Uh, really native Egyptians and so they would have held true to their much more ancient traditions sure. whereas Alexandria was this foreign city that was although had ruled over them for many years had always felt more Greek really I mean Cleopatra I know there's some people been arguing you know you know Cleopatra's race but she would have been more Greek and most of the rulers of uh, Egypt for a long time would have been far more Greek than they would have been Egyptian. The actual native Egyptians would have been considered almost second-class citizens. There would have been mm. an Egyptian quarter within Alexandria that would have been more run down. It's actually suggested that, that part was what was that original city uh, or that oh, original settlement, Rakotis. Yeah, 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 that grew into the Egyptian quarter. Um, ah. And so, yeah, you get that kind of different cultures. And so although it's, you could consider it a melting pot, in the same way that every city that is a melting pot, you still have these segmented areas. You know, everything yeah. is still kind of... Everyone has their own area. Everyone has their own zone. People don't like crossing over. There will always be a kind of a massive wealth disparity between these areas. And that's what was happening inside Alexandria. And so it's so interesting, yeah, that Christianity gets in there because yeah. of the Roman Empire. And because even though the Roman Empire was kind of resisting it at first, as I think most people who know about Christian history it spread far and fast and eventually um what it's it's interesting what goes from christians kind of being persecuted across most of the roman empire and in alexandria by the pagan uh, rulers this is kind of beginning to flip and actually later in the fourth century which we're looking at it's kind of the christians who are going really ham against any pagan religions and any oh. pagan traditions i think it's fascinating that you know christianity again it's actually a top down rather than a grassroots i mean obviously there were christians within the roman empire but as soon as you get the chief at the top to convert to christianity obviously then it can get the, the, the rapid pace by which it can spread you know if the top dog is saying okay this is it now Suddenly, mm. you know, everyone's got to change overnight, you know? It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is kind yeah. of what the Romans did. They just kind of went, yeah, we like Christianity now. Just forced, you guys can all be Christians now, which yeah, is a yeah. bit weird. I mean, it does take a few hundred years for everything to change. But they kind of just change their mind and go, yeah, we kind of like that Christian Christianity stuff. Like, it's, it's doing well for us. They're pretty powerful. We want to stay pretty powerful. Maybe we should just start being a bit more Christian. Because I think a lot of the emperors, although they officially are Christians, a lot of the evidence shows that they still held a lot of pagan beliefs. They're more ancient uh, Roman beliefs. And they just kind of latched onto Christianity because they saw how powerful it was. I mean, if that's kind of what we're seeing at this time of uh, in the world, actually across a lot of the world, is you really see the power of these specific types of religions. I think a lot of people, you could compare the rise of Christianity along with the rise of Islam, these very uh, strict doctrine religions with a very clear sense of right and wrong. You know, they have a huge effect on people and they can do a really powerful job of uniting a country under one 
spiritual doctrine because these more ancient religions you'd have cities that were cared more about one god than the other and then you move city and then there's another god that they care about it's more it's, it's less structured yeah, yeah yeah it's not it's not quite as strong as i think uh these more modern religions are you know which is a unified you know it's one book one set of laws one set of rules one guy at the top whereas these ancient uh, religions didn't quite have that and they were more linked up with the state or different places you were you know you know you would worship different gods depending on who you were where you lived it was just it was a bit more all over the place yeah. although it is much more interesting to learn about i think i've always found <laughs> the more ancient traditions which is it, although it's interesting why i've chosen this bit of history but so that's the kind of time period we're looking at is that christians are kind of now on top uh, after being kind of the cool trendy outsider underdogs that rome didn't like now rome likes them and all the alexandrians like well i guess now we're on the same side as rome because we're going to start persecuting the pagans tear down their temples stop them with all their weird pagan rituals christianity's in and that's that's where it wants it's to in stay. vogue this is what we're doing yeah yeah so uh, and so that's kind of yeah that's the kind of tectonic shift that's going on um at the moment throughout the empire however Alexandria is just about to suffer the much more real effects of a much more real tectonic shift, if you pardon the pun, um, uh-huh. <laughs> that's about to kind of really do some damage to the city and across the world. Ah, okay. Yeah. I don't so, know what you're about to say, but I'm looking yeah. at <laughs> I think I'm trying to be too clever with my wording. Um, I'm sure I'll have the benefit of hindsight when I listen to this back, but right now I have yeah, no yeah. idea what you're talking about. <laughs> if listener, if you if you have guessed what I'm talking about, then well done. Oh, and if you haven't, don't worry about it. I'm trying to be clever, and I'm not. I don't. I don't know <laughs> no. how to write. I don't know how to write. I wrote it down in my notes, and I thought it would be clever, but I don't know if it's going to go well. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Um, so I'll now jump into our walkthrough, and for this week's walkthrough. The year will be 365 CE, uh, and we will be following a man by the name of Theophilus, who was a Christian scholar and a priest uh, as he makes his way through the city. Now, Theophilus will have grown up in Alexandria and therefore has grown up in Egypt. However, that doesn't really make him uh, truly like Egyptian. He wouldn't have been one of the more native Egyptians you might imagine nowadays. He would have been much more Greek, much more Roman, um, would have come from uh, probably Roman parents and kind of brought up to believe in Christianity, would have been brought up within the probably more wealthy Roman quarter of the city. As I said before, the city would have been divided up into kind of different quarters. There would have been the older Greek quarters, the very ancient uh, Egyptian quarter, and a more modern kind of Roman quarter where Theophilus would have grown up in. Sure. Now, as he walks through the kind of baked streets, because um, obviously this is Egypt, it would be scorchingly hot um, <laughs> throughout this. Even though you might get a nice sea breeze uh, being on the coast, it is still going to be hotter than sin um, but these people know how to live here you know I mean I'm sure you've all seen kind of Roman attire it's just togas they're barely wearing anything to be honest and <laughs> in an Egyptian city they might have been even wearing even less just to just to save themselves from the heat <laughs> what they were all just um, nudists were they <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean I don't know I, that's a good point because he would have been yeah a, a Christian scholar and priest maybe he'd been a bit more dressed up I mean he probably would have been quite lavishly dressed but still very kind of rich silks, but maybe thin silks to keep away the heat. 
Um, you know, you don't have air conditioning or anything those days. There's not much, you, you know, getting out of the heat would just be going inside and staying in the shade and hopefully getting some cool water on your neck. You know, you can't do a lot about it. Yeah, not much um, ice in the in the city at that time, I'm sure. No, unfortunately <laughs> not. Sea breeze is the best you could get. Um, so he would be moving through the streets. Uh, he might see some, you know, wagons and wagons of grain uh, would have been the huge export of the city, you know, making its way to the docks to be sent off to the Roman Empire to feed soldiers invading somewhere, you know, the Roman Empire is always <laughs> at war. Um, uh, and as he's moving through, he would probably see quite Roman architecture. The city has been kind of rebuilt and built upon for hundreds and thousands, well, hundreds of years. Um, you know, really building in the new architecture of their new invaders. Alexandria would have had his own architecture. The Romans would have their own, you know, sweeping columns. They want their kind of cities to embody their power. And, you know, Alexandria kind of was a bit less at this time. It would have been not quite a second city to Rome, but still a very rich and powerful city, especially because of its dock. And so you would see... Uh, lots of Roman architecture. You would see quite a bit of what was referred to as Coptic art, which is essentially this mix of Egyptian and Greek mythology, uh, but restyled to fit within Christian beliefs. So it's kind of this way that Christianity, uh, it did, and they do this kind of around the world, um, they build upon pagan beliefs to make it more amenable to the populace. So there's lots of things like Christmas is likely didn't actually happen. The birth of Christ didn't happen on Christmas Day, but it fit really well with the winter solstice, which is a pagan right, tradition. Yeah, yeah. The um, what's it called? The like the Irish cross, the one that's the the kind of Celtic cross, which is a cross but has a circle in the middle. Supposedly is like that because the circle is the symbol of the sun, which pagan oh. Celtics uh, used to worship. So it was this kind of mixing of of iconography to kind of fit within Christian belief so you could bring people in so he would have seen Theopolis would have seen a lot of this as he's walking by for instance the Ankh the Egyptian Ankh which is the kind of cross with the bow at the top which means life actually fe featured in a lot of symbology around Jesus because he is this kind of eternal figure and so not as an alternative to the cross but you might see some uh, Egyptian figures holding the Ankh in the same image where you'd see a slightly more Egyptianified Jesus, which is like wow. kind of an interesting blending of cultures, and that yeah. kind of embodies the city itself. It is this kind of blending of cultures, and I'm doing that in air quotes because it's kind of forcing Egyptian culture into this new culture, which in uh, 20 years or so will be required by everyone. I mean, we're like, yeah, we're about 20 years off the Roman Empire saying, okay, all other religions are now heretical, all other versions of Christianity are heretical. There is this Christianity and nothing else. So sure. we're rapidly approaching that time. And that might have, you know, caused this city to feel very different. As Theophilus would be walking through, he might even see some persecuted pagans, some Egyptians who are being uh, rudely treated. <laughs> rudely is a bit of a light word. Rudely. Um, so British yeah, very, very rudely. <laughs> so and, rudely. you know, Theophilus... Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as Theophilus, I'm not going to say he's gonna, he'll, he would necessarily be a good guy he would have been a Christian who would have believed wholeheartedly that these pagans need to be taught the enlightened way either with carrot or stick it doesn't matter, you know, as long as they learn the new way Sure, yeah matter. I can imagine mm. So, as I've said you know, there's lots of different cultures here and the 
the introduction of the religion is really kind of splitting them apart so you would see this real disparity from the rich Romans to the kind of more still kind of rich uh, more Greek people who've lived there for a long time and then the Egyptians who would be the lowest kind of caste they would be quite poor um, and treated harshly more brought in as uh, farmers and as servants at this time being a citizen of the empire was just it w was only given to you by the emperor uh, as like a kindness you know it wasn't guaranteed if you lived within the city so the Egyptians probably weren't citizens properly they would have been farmers coming in to sell their grain to Roman uh, merchants who would probably buy it for very little and sell it on you know it's not the best yeah. you know it's a strong economy for a city but kind of harsh to the to the local Egyptians who are having to sell their grain for probably pittance to what it's worth to the empire yeah it's not the best time for uh you're not going to find any human rights in the Roman Empire, let's put it that way. No, no, no. Um, but as Theophilus might be walking through the city, perhaps planning on going, uh, meeting some other scholars to discuss who knows what. You know, Christianity is almost being invented at this time. Uh, the Roman Empire will, at some point, I think it's within quite soon, they start having these huge conferences, essentially, where they start deciding what goes into the Bible. So theology is a really big deal in this city. Um, and that would be what he's part of. So he might have been on his way to speak to someone about that. But he possibly would have been interrupted, or probably definitely been interrupted, by uh, the ground beneath his feet starting to shift and shake. And no. around a bunch. Yes. It's that type of story. Oh, okay. Um, so as he's moving through, you know, this would be pretty worrying. I mean, no one within Alexandria would have ever really felt like anything like this before. It's not the type of world the type of world the part of the world where this kind of event happens so the buildings might sway a bit but it's not a huge amount and it will settle down after a bit of time and he'd probably think oh that's weird <laughs> might think is it's it... a sign from god <laughs> i was gonna say is it you imagine lots of the uh, christians might have been thinking it was the second coming i mean you just don't know at that point yeah yeah i mean you know these kind of big religion is always there to explain these big natural events that no one can explain and so yeah he's probably thinking bloody hell here we go. Oh, he's, thank, he's you know, he's probably getting ready. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to spin yeah. this into something clever. It's like, thank God I'm wearing my best robe today. I'm meeting Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so he's probably thinking, oh, this is this is a big deal. I better run off to meet my, to run off to, to a church or to meet some other theologians to speak about this. But he would have been interrupted again by quite a loud commotion as people start racing throughout the cities and uh, maybe he asks a few people maybe he overhears something but a peculiar event has just happened where the port and the sea has vanished there's no more water in the dock and <gasps> you're kidding wh what's going on there what empty so, it is it is completely empty out so that is where that's where the the our walkthrough will end because if you if if you have an idea about geology, you might have an idea of where we're going through because on the 21st of July, 365 CE, a massive earthquake uh, goes off just off the coast of Crete, uh, which is in Greece, and causes ripples to go out throughout the Mediterranean. Um, and this causes quite a bit of destruction throughout the Mediterranean uh, as far as uh, Libya, Cyprus, Sicily and even Spain but kind wow. of only kind of minor shakes and wobbles which is what Theophilus would have felt however the real destruction would come from the tsunamis that are racing their way south and east 
across the Mediterranean and they are headed right for Alexandria. So sorry, just for those of us who aren't that clued up on geology, uh, where did all the water go? So this is actually, and this is something that we know nowadays, although actually we say we know nowadays, but actually lots of uh, lots of these awful tsunamis happen where people not realising this is a major sign. But it is as a huge part of a tsunami. And tsunamis are always triggered by earthquakes, tectonic plates, which is why I said tectonic earlier. Uh... That was my little clever thing. Um, so yeah, these huge earthquakes that happen in the ocean, or at least close enough to the ocean to cause uh, ripples. And if you kind of think about uh, a tsunami as just this massive wave yeah. when a, when you're at the shore when a big wave's coming everything is pulled out slightly I mean you know when you're at the beach it's pulled out what a couple of meters but for tsunamis and it could go either way supposedly some tsunamis are preempted by an actual rising of the river or the river of the water um, <laughs> but a lot of the time it's it is a receding and all this water rushes out to sea very quickly and very suddenly. So obviously, you know, you might have tidal changes that go across a few hours, but this will be very rapid and would have been an extraordinary event for these Alexandrian people to see because they would have had no idea what's going on. I mean, like no. you say, they might have thought it was the end times coming because what the fuck is this? Suddenly our, our great dock that has been filled with ships is now suddenly fucking empty. Okay, I, mean, I, what is I that? wonder if it's that close to when they, they've been converted. I wonder if any of the, uh, the Greek residents looked out to see and went, shit, I knew Poseidon was real. Why did yeah. I change? <laughs> I, I, I revoke my Christianity. It's almost one of the things I wanted to like focus. I mean, you know, the, the, the religious uh, issues going on in Alexandria at the time is kind of the main thing to talk about this time. But it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk a bit about it is because... I mean, this is a biblical event, and you know, it's weird saying biblical when some people wouldn't would seeing it as the opposite. It's not a proof of the Bible; it's a proof of our more ancient pagan gods. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that might have been. I don't know. Is that does does Egypt have a god of the sea? They must do, and they have apologies. gods of the Nile, but I don't know if they have a god of the sea. But no, they no, they, mu- do. they they definitely do. Um, if you're looking for any mythology, though, go to a, a little history podcast. That's what the name oh, is. Yeah. Because he, uh, our good friend Patrick Little, is fantastic and he'll answer any and all mythology questions. So, yeah, head over there for that stuff. So, actually, I've just checked. Uh, Noon or Nu is uh, one of her ancient Egyptian gods who is uh, name means primeval waters. So, I wonder if that's kind of their understanding of the sea. Like the Nile is their like mother, is their like guiding like elegant waters that feed them and nurture them whereas the sea is this kind of primal essence it's one of the earlier chaos yeah 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 yeah. so maybe they thought that was what's going on and all these christians are idiots for thinking here and maybe we're going to get you know destroyed because i mean you know that in that first moment the seas have left them which is almost just as terrifying because they they'll rely on that for to to survive, you know these yeah, and on probably all the Roman merchants going bloody hell, what are we going to do now? All our ships are now beached, yeah, and we all can't down get out. in a dip as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. all those that giant lighthouses useless now. I don't actually know. How, to be honest, I don't know how far the water's gone out. I assume it's they, they, we do have a, a bit of a description. A uh, a Roman historian by the name of Armianus Marcilianus, I think that's right. Um, actually describes the tsunami and he doesn't describe how far it goes out so I think it would go out pretty far hey, it's great for is... the uh, the visual content, I love it yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I can yeah, see yeah. it in my mind as a completely yeah. like, 
beached Roman triremes everywhere and, <laughs> and all those merchants go, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, he says, so the sea was driven away, its waves were rolled back and it disappeared so that the abyss of the depths was uncovered and many shaped varieties of sea creatures were stuck in the slime. So what happened is it moved wow. out so quickly that the sea creatures were still there. I mean, imagine there would only be a few fish because they can move with the water. But anything like crabs and crustaceans or turtles, anything there would have been trapped now and beached. And the problem is, this is too tempting for the people of Alexandria. So they then head out into <sighs> the bay to start scavenging sea creatures because they're oh, like... No this is going to be great. I mean, I can just go, rather than go fishing, I'll just go pick up some crabs. I can see him there. I'm going to make a killing. Yeah. Which we now know that this is a terrible thing and because this is a telltale sign of a tsunami coming. And that is what happens. The waves come crashing back in. Uh, and this would have been a wall of water moving at perhaps around 500 miles per hour. That's the kind of oh, standard wow. speed of tsunamis. Only would have been uh, the the water level would have only risen by about three meters, which sounds small, but actually, when you really think about it, three meters is a pretty big wall, yeah. and that is enough to cover. You know, if you think the, there's a sea level. Uh, from a city, but three meters above that, what point in the city does that run out? And even if it doesn't, it will, sl it will, you know, it will go up. It will yeah. rise slightly as it crashes into, and it will just completely destroy the city. And that is kind of what it does. It really? comes crashing in and does huge amounts of damage, especially to the more poorer regions or the more poorer parts of the city, because they're ho their homes. They might be kind of mud and was it like mud, mud and wattle yeah. homes. They won't be able to stand it. So some of you know the tall, sweeping Roman columns that would probably also be built on slightly higher bits of the city, they might be okay. And actually, the lighthouse, the the great lighthouse of Alexandria, the Pharos lighthouse, that survives. Um, that's quite beefy and built on. It's a chunky high, one, isn't so, it? Yeah. So yeah, it would have only been lightly, and it's also surrounded by walls, so it would have been fairly well protected. But the city itself would have been kind of destroyed and decimated. I mean, you know, huge amounts of damage. Can, can you it. imagine being one of the lighthouse keepers? I'm sure there must have been a few of them at Oof, the very top, yeah. going up to maybe just check on the on the top, and you look out. And first of all, you look down to the city, and it's just all those people running in to get the the slime, the the fish out of the slime. Yeah. You look the other way, and you see this fuck off massive wave coming at like a hundred miles and five hundred miles mm. an hour. That must have been insane. And you knew you were probably going to be fine, but then yeah. You just must have... Oh, God, it must have been terrifying. What would you think? I mean, a crisis of consciousness... I reckon there would have been hundreds of people changing religions suddenly. I think both ways. Yeah. You know, there'd be a bunch of Christians going, what the fuck have we done? These primeval gods of Egypt are punishing us for being Christian. Quick, throw away the Bible and start worshipping Poseidon or Horus or... What was he called? Noom. Noom. Yeah. We just get back... Whereas all the Egyptians might have been like, my God, we haven't listened to these Christians and their God has come to smash us. So, you know, these 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 huge, I mean, we call them biblical events for a reason. They are almost religion changing events. They are proper crisis of your own theology events. Yeah. It's these, I mean, it's just remarkable what they would have gone through. How how big was the earthquake? Do you know? Do they have a rich so, for it? 
Yes, so there is quite a bit of actually scientific research. I mean, this has been recorded, uh, like historically written down from people at the time. Mm. Um, the Roman historian I spoke to about, who I won't mention the name again because I can't say it. You um, spoke to him. He was, he? <laughs> yeah, he was from the time, and so he wrote this down. So it's a, it's not a first-hand account, but it's a, what's the word in history where it's someone from contemporary? It's a contemporary it's, it's, account, yeah. Yeah, it's a contemporary account. So. You know, we knew that this had happened just from history, but there is quite a bit of like uh, scientific geological research that shows that uh, an earthquake did hit at this time. Um, it also, by the way, completely destroyed Crete, which is the, the which oh, is the island it was the just epicenter. off. Yeah, yeah, almost all the towns are completely destroyed. I mean, that was just destroyed by the earthquake. And what's interesting is actually the tsunami mainly impacted the further away places um, across the Mediterranean. So the Crete and most of Greece was more impacted by the earthquake but because it was there wasn't a lot of sea between the earthquake and them it wasn't enough to build up a tsunami whereas it's almost like across I was gonna say across the pond but the Mediterranean Sea (laughs) that's where it was able to build up speed and so all the while the earthquake didn't do a huge amount of damage the tsunami that came after it that's what did a huge amount of damage which sure. is really interesting. But interesting. I did find out, so they, they estimate it would have been about an 8.0 on the <gasps> magnitude Richter scale, which, to give you an idea, the uh, the earthquake that hit Haiti in 2010 was about 7.0, and the earthquake that hit Japan in 2011, the earthquake and tsunami, was about a 9. So it's between Whoa. those two. And, you know, Japan was really hit hard by that tsunami and japan is a much more modern city with a lot more stronger foundations they even had you know earthquake and tsunami protection to a certain degree alexandria didn't have any of that and they had no idea and they wouldn't have experienced anything that they're not on a tectonic plate rift or anything like that they're not on a fault line they won't have really experienced this sort of thing before and so it would have been and if they had it would have been hundreds of years ago and no one would have any idea what to do i mean you which you can tell because they went out and started collecting fish, which yeah. is just well. It terrifying. it reminds me of um the uh the response to Vesuvius going off, the Roman response yes. to Vesuvius and how that lots they didn't know what was going on. They hadn't really. I mean, there aren't that many volcanoes. There's Etna and Vesuvius are the two big mm. ones. So can you imagine? It just must have been so terrifying. Well, what's interesting is, yeah, because we all know about Pompeii and Vesuvius um, quite a bit, but actually this was more destructive than that was. Was So approximately about 5,000 people lost their lives to the tsunami and about 50,000 homes were destroyed. So 5,000 people in the thing, but then there would have been more deaths from disease and from starvation, you know, the ripple effect going out from this tsunami event people would have just not been able to recover. Whereas um, Pompeii, only about 2,000 people died, which is still a huge number of people. But (laughs) I think in that case, more people, they saw it coming and lots of people were able to flee the city. Whereas the tsunami and, and, you know, Vesuvius erupting made that whole area completely inhospitable for, I think, think months, maybe even years. Whereas the tsunami came in, crashed and went away. But it was that sudden, that was the suddenness that killed so many people. And yeah. it's just it's fascinating. Brutal. Yeah. And then beyond that, uh, the surrounding villages and the towns would have suffered even more. I mean, it was this whole region that would have been hit hard. And it's kind of estimated that almost 45,000 people died in total. What? Which is a huge sort of... I mean, all the villages along the side, they would have just completely wiped out. And they wouldn't have been... They would have built them kind of lower. And there's just... I mean, you know, to, to how well we can tell how many people died... 
Um, the our, our hist- Roman historian just names it to be the thousands of people, but they're not yeah. too bothered about naming how many people. No, they're so, not going out and like fielding a census, are they? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is pretty. It is pretty awful. In fact, so I'll, quite, I'll read yeah. another quote from uh, Marcellinus. I think that's right. I don't know. He can't complain. He's not around. <laughs> no, what's he um, going to do, Marcellinus? Yeah. So uh, he says, the roaring sea, as if insulted by its repulse, which I quite like. Like, I think it was like it moved out and went, oh, shit, I'm meant to be over there. And so he runs back in um, as if insulted by its repulse, rises back in turn and through the teeming shoals dashed itself violently on the islands and extensive, extensive tracts of the mainland and flattened innumerable buildings in towns or wherever they were found. Right. So... He thought it, you know, did huge amounts of damage. And actually more of his quote talks about how it damaged the surrounding region. And he also goes on to talk about how certain ships were dragged out to sea, certain ships were just sunk, and certain ships were thrown onto the mainland, landing on the buildings. So after everything had been sorted out, you could come back to your house and there'd be a fucking massive Roman Tareem just (laughs) just stuck in the middle of it. I like to think stuck with a bunch of drunk Roman soldiers going... What the fuck's going on here? Like, this yeah, is, this is a lot. <laughs> they'd probably feel like they were the saviors that they've been saved by by the god because they'd go if off they'd and survived, make an offering. Yeah, yeah. If they'd survived, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, you would have think. I mean, yeah, that would have been just a huge, earth shaking, quite literally, earth shaking yeah. event for all these people to and then really reevaluate everything they'd know. And it's it it's done. It did so much destruction, actually. It changed the land permanently. So quite a number of years after, it had done enough damage to the land. I guess maybe the geography had changed in such a way, but um, Alexandria's royal quarter was slowly taken over by the sea, possibly because oh. it disrupted some of the foundations of the soil and it just started to dip into it. And actually, it's only until like 1995 that archaeologists have discovered the ruins of the old city. So they're now starting to see parts of Alexandria that have just been lost because, because of this. likely of this of this tsunami because of like a um, land subsidence or whatever yeah, yeah. i mean there there, wow. there are actually some earthquakes that that shake the city hundreds of years later so that might have added to it to as well but yeah it is this huge cataclysmic event that none of them had seen ever before and actually uh, until about the end of the 6th century alexandria was commemorating commemor- com- <laughs> commemorating that's the word commemorating the day um, as the day of horror. So every year they would, I don't know if celebrate it is the right word, but they would remember it as yeah. this day of horror because it was just, I mean, that's what it would have been. They'd have no idea. And the fact that it didn't go, it went away probably just as quickly as it arrived. And they're just like, what, what the fuck do we do now? Do we have any idea how many people were living in Alexandria at the time? So it looks like maybe about 300,000 inhabitants were around uh in 30 BC, which was kind of the, I think, the height of it becoming uh, a Roman capital. Yeah. Um, it was still under the Ptolemies at this time, but under influence. So, and this would have been kind of at its height. So this would have been a major player. So it would probably have dropped off a bit in the next 300 years, but still a few hundred thousand people. So yeah. actually okay. not a huge, not a huge casualty count. Um uh, in in comparison, to, I mean, you know, whenever you see these things, these huge natural disasters, I mean, like I said, we talked about Vesuvius so much, you know, that's a thing that's etched in all our brains of history. None of it comes close to anything like a war, 
Like a no. war will kill off hundreds of thousands of people. But these huge cataclysmic events are still so important to the culture of a city and the kind of ethos of a city because they just see it as this act of God or act of the gods yeah. that they can't comprehend and- in any way. War is understandable. This, I mean, I don't think even nowadays we can really comprehend it when it happens. I mean, we can have, you know, geo- geographers and geologists explain it to us, but it's still just, it, it's horrifying. Yeah, I, I agree. I think part of it, in the, it etches in the memory of the city. And I feel like cities get this sort of shared trauma. The community is traumatized. So it gets remembered mm. by thousands of people. It's a bit like actually um, New Orleans, for instance, or New York yeah. after 9-11, New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. You have these these cities get hit by these such big disasters or terrorist attacks where they all mm. come together and feel like they are there's this identity around it of you... Were yeah. you there when the tidal wave hit Alexandria? Or where were you when Katrina hit New Orleans? You know, whatever. Absolutely. I think it's, yeah, I think it's quite interesting, that part of it. Like, that, that sort of, um, as you say, it knits itself into the fabric of the culture of that city and won't, mm. uh, and doesn't dislodge very easily. You know, I mean, yeah. even for us in, in London, I say us, I'm from London, and I remember um, when the 7-7 bombings went off in 2005, that's still to this day, when I get on a tube, I kind of get a feeling, oh, do you remember when that happened? And I feel like that, again, it's like there's this solidarity which spreads across the whole of London. It's quite, it's quite sort of healing as well, I think, because you all yeah. feel yeah. like you're a, a community, which you don't get much of in London. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, these huge cities where you have different people all coming together, I think, yeah, uh, a shared history is a really important part and for so many of these melting pot situ- civilizations and cities they don't have a shared history because they come from different places but something like this as horrific as it is could unite people uh, yeah. and it'd be I'd be fascinating it's sad that we don't have too much text and writings about this time um I mean this the, the our Roman historian fella who I won't say his name again um, uh, well, he doesn't. He just mentions the destruction, and he would probably be more interested in what the Romans were doing. He wouldn't talk about what how this affected the Egyptian people or the more the the older Greek people. You know, there could have been a huge amount of camaraderie, should comrade. I don't know. You, you know, right. people coming together. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get that with these sorts of things, and it would be really fascinating to know what it did to the city and how people started to feel to each other, especially across religious lines. Um, which is an interesting thing, which is that although that is an interesting part of it and actually something that can sometimes go the other way is that events like this can bring people together, but it could serve as a reason to drive people further apart if people are willing to blame each other. And I think in this case, there's a chance it could have gone the other way. It could have been, you know, they'd already been, yeah, um, they'd already been, uh, you know, kind of a lynch mob kind of stylings of Christianity at this point. You know, they were going ham at the pagans they did not like them and if this was in any way they could spin this as a show that their christian god was right and these heathens are ruining their city i think they may have lent that way which is sad so yeah yeah, it'd be it'd be amazing to know more about the stories of the people there but unfortunately they just they weren't they weren't written down and if they were i think they've been destroyed and, and and removed from that city many many times over because yeah i mean at this point the um the library of alexandria had kind of gone by this point there was like there was some library aspect to it the the, the library of alexandria is supposedly burned or destroyed 
hundreds of times and it's not really yeah, clear when exactly it happened yeah um so it's unclear whether or not if it was there it survived or if it just wasn't there but it, yeah it's so it, it's it's an interesting thing and i think it's it, it's an interesting thing because it's such a it's an event that affects us nowadays in exactly the same way and yet it's fascinating to see how these ancient people would have gone through yeah, absolutely. I do um, like the image of sort of Theophilus arriving at his sort of Bible study group and four of his closest and most <laughs> ardent supporters of Christ um, turn to him and go, we must sacrifice to Odin. Actually, not Odin. Yeah. Not one, to Poseidon. <laughs> Odin. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. have you seen what's going on down there? This is rubbish. He's throwing the Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get the ancient the sadness. That sounds a bit more like a Monty Python kind of thing, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And but and you'd have that kind of switching of there's a great um, I've I've got it in my head now, but there's a bit in Simpsons where I can't remember. They think an asteroid's about to hit, and they have a shot of um the bar of Moe's bar, which is apparently right next to the church, and everyone in the church runs out and goes to Moe's bar, and everyone <laughs> in Moe's bars runs out and goes to the church because it's nice. like you suddenly feel like you need to make a change. You don't know what the change is. But you need to make a change. So I wonder if suddenly all the um, the the Christian churches would have been filled with all these like Egyptian pagans, not quite holding the cross the wrong way up, kind of trying to figure out what it is, and then you'd have a bunch of like <laughs> elderly Christian scholars trying to enact strange uh, Egyptian rituals, slaughtering a and... cow. Or something. Yeah, yeah, they've no idea what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I think would be that's a fun way to to think about. It. I'd, I'd like to think that that's what happened. I prefer that to the, uh, the, the the sort of more negative idea of it, using it as a divider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually had this grand flipping of everyone trying to work out what they want to do. It was known from then on as the grape flip. The grape yeah. flip. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, well, so that was uh, my look into Alexandrian history. So, Will, uh, what we'll be looking at next week in our part two of Alexandrian history? Well, that was a fantastic opener for the uh, for my one. It feels like a uh, you've laid the groundwork very well uh, for my one next <laughs> week. Uh, I will be transporting us to the 18th century version of Alexandria um, to uh, talk about a Frenchman, and that's all I'm going to tell you because it's quite the story. I'm actually really, really happy with this one. So uh, <laughs> I'm happy with all of them, but this one's a yeah, particular yeah. favorite. <laughs> So, that yeah. is a big jump. Yeah, that's what's fifteen hundred years. Oops, sorry, fifteen hundred <laughs> year jump that we're that we're making. So I can see what you mean. You know, it is we're rocketing through history, and it's interesting. Yeah, because it's. I mean, you know, Alexandria goes through a huge upheaval between those two times. Oh yeah. Um. So so yeah. So that might be. It's it, it's interesting to see cities in th- these very different times in history. Um, so thank you for listening uh, I hope you're enjoying our new cities series um, as much as we are I think I'm really enjoying this I mean you know we wouldn't have been able to talk about a tsunami uh, in our in our original cloak and dagger I mean you could kind of I guess maybe argue this was a very big assassination from <laughs> Poseidon <laughs> against 5,000 citizens of Alexandria that might be pushing it a bit far yeah but yeah, no, uh, follow us on uh, Instagram at Cloak and Dagger Podcast and please leave a review wherever you're listening. And if you're from a country which isn't England, um, <laughs> please tell a friend because we really want to grow our, our, our podcast into other countries. Uh, we know there's a few Swedes listening and a couple of Romanians yep. as well. And I'm pretty sure there's one Canadian. So whoever you are, 
tell a couple of your mates and let's see if we can get a few more followers over there. But thank you so yeah, much for listening. Exactly. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Uh, and we will see you next week.